Hi guys, welcome to the Schofield Stories with me, Calm Schofield. Every show we're going to have some incredible guests, all with one thing in common. They've all got a story to tell. So sit back, get ready for some laughter, tears and a little bit of stamina activism here on the Schofield Stories. My guest for this episode is Lisa Edwards. I'm not going to say too much as Lisa's got an incredible story which I can't wait to hear. The journey from a breakdown in a relationship to mental health issues to becoming the person she is today is truly inspiring. Thank you so much for coming on my show. Welcome, Lisa. Hi, Callum. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So your story is centred around relationships, really. So why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about the beginning and where this all came from, how it started? Okay. So my story uh, starts in the summer of 2014. Um, And I'd been with my partner for six years. And, uh, you know, he was a great guy. My family and friends, they really, really, you know, really adored him. My son adored him. Um, He was a calm and gentle man. And one day he he was a bit late from work and he came home and, you know, I was sort of having another argument and he put his head in his hands and he said they found uh, a brain tumour. He'd been diagnosed with a brain tumour and, you know, we'd been and around the time as well, it was quite stressful because uh, there were some things going on with his work. Um, There was this woman, a colleague of his that he worked with she'd started sending me quite abusive messages for really sort of out of the blue for no reason. Oh, wow. uh, quite explicit messages. Um, <clears throat> it was because I, I couldn't get hold of him one day and I just sent her a message um, asking her if she could get him to call me. Um, and just from there, it was, it was kind of messages. I mean, really quite personal, rude messages about how I wasn't good enough for him and she was better and you know she was an attractive woman um really sort of putting me down and that went on for a while so we had all this going on it was quite a stressful period and um he sort of about two two weeks or so after this diagnosis uh, about a week two weeks um I was in the bath and he came in and he was he sort of aggressively put his hand uh, down in the bath between my legs, uh, which was really uncharacteristic of him. Um, and I just yelled at him to get out. And then when I got out of the bath, he was waiting for me in the bedroom. And he sexually assaulted me there. Um, he raped me. He, I was fighting him, fighting him. And I remember I was scratching his arms and his back. And I was too afraid you know what was going through my mind was was that if I pushed him too hard off off of me and he fell backwards or I punched him in the face or hit him that you know I might do some more damage um, because of the brain tumor and so ironically I was still thinking of his welfare welfare even at that point and um, obviously I was absolutely shocked uh, disgusted I couldn't believe it happened um, I threw him out of the house. Um, 
And I just didn't know what to think. I was thinking that maybe the brain tumour had somehow affected his cognitive functioning. Um, he'd altered his personality in some way. Um, I didn't really know because obviously for six years he'd been this great person and suddenly he'd changed. And um, or perhaps the fear of, of dying had affected him. And in fact, you know, about two, two or three days later, he came back and he was begging and pleading with me, saying that he, he couldn't go, go through this alone and he needed my support. And of course, you know, I took him back in. I said I would care for him and would look after him. But as time, as the weeks and the days went by, I, you know, the appointment, the appointments were being changed and altered all the time and or I couldn't it'd always be at a time when I couldn't make uh, the hospital appointment because I had to take my son or I was working or I had to take my son somewhere to meet his dad or something and so <clears throat> it was probably about a couple of months from the actual diagnosis that I was looking hunting around in the bedroom for um, an appointment letter or something and instead I found a second phone of his that I'd never seen before <laughs> and I remember just standing there holding this phone and I just felt this rising sense of dread because I, I just knew it wasn't going to be good uh, good news um, and I turned it on it was switched off turned it on and I just saw these numbers and messages and missed calls and um, the first message was a picture message that I came to and it was a picture of a baby. And it said, um, the message was, do you want to come and meet your daughter or do you want to do a DNA test? And I felt sick to my stomach um, because the baby, I mean, it just looked exactly exactly like him. Um, and that, that was about a year or maybe a year, 18 months before, before this period. But obviously when we were together, and it looked like there'd been quite a lot of messages and missed calls from the same number that obviously he'd not been replying. And <clears throat> I'd, I saw another another number that was um, also, there were no messages, but there were lots and lots of phone calls, almost daily phone calls between this number. And I cont contacted that number as well and um, and said, you know, I'm, I'm his partner, who, you know, six years, who are you? And the reply that came back was, I'm his wife. Um, so he'd uh, basically, not only was he married, he'd fathered a child with another woman. Um, and the the child that he'd fathered with this, this other woman, he, she'd, she didn't even know. I mean, I phoned her up, I phoned her in the end and I said, you know, who, you, you obviously you've had you say that you have a baby with my partner and and when I was talking about him she didn't know she didn't recognize the name because he'd actually given her a, a false name and um, he'd apparently disappeared once she said that she was pregnant and she was going to keep the baby and he did a runner and just abandoned her um, and as you know as the days as the you know the weeks passed actually it wasn't sort of an overnight discovery it just took yeah. a while of, of trying to track everything you know piece you know put all the pieces together was that actually the place of work where he'd worked as well for the past it was like about a year that he'd worked at this new place um and the woman that was trolling me and sending me all these abusive messages uh, she didn't exist 
uh, none of the colleagues that he'd set up on uh, Facebook existed. In fact, he'd never worked there. They were all him. He'd actually been doing it himself. Um, oh, my so God. He, <laughs> yeah yeah it's 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 you know it's it's so crazy and it just you know he'd used in fact i sort of went when i went back over the whole six years i'd realized that I'd, you know that my entire six-year relationship had been a complete lie from day one um and he'd used all these kind of things to sort of corroborate his story you know he'd set up all these different accounts facebook accounts to kind of convince me um of his lies um and I think the worst, the worst thing of all as well was that he, he lied about having a brain tumour. I mean, it's the one thing that I sort of held on to because I still, even after, you know, all this and obviously we split up, I mean, I, there was no way I was going to entertain the thought of ever staying with this man. Um, was I still believed he was sick. You know, I still was concerned about his, his, his well-being. Um, and it turned out, obviously, that even that was a lie. I mean... You know, I truly believed I'd been in this relationship with a, a decent man, this good person, um, sharing my life with him, my, my family, my friends. And, you know, he he was not the person. I mean, I didn't know him at all. I mean, he was anything but decent. I mean, I couldn't even leave my house after that with without feeling like the stares and the snickers and behind me, you know, that the humiliation um, and the shame was was too much i just didn't even want to, to step outside of my front door um it was it was uh absolutely horrendous and, and i couldn't the trust issues that i had after that were i felt like i couldn't even trust my own hands in front of my face you know i, I couldn't trust my left hand from my right hand um i felt like i was I don't know, you know, stuck at the bottom of the ocean or a swimming pool. And, and you know, when you, you kind of like you do a somersault when you're a kid or something in the, in the swimming pool and, and you kind of spin round or something or you do a handstand and then you kind of lose your bearings and you can't find the surface. It yeah. felt a bit like, it felt a bit like that. Like I was, I could see the surface. I didn't know, you know, which way was up, which way was down, how to get out of this, how to breathe. You know, it felt like I was spinning um, underwater. It was a, a strange surreal feeling um because that had been my life for six years and, and you know i truly believe when you truly believe something and then to find out that it was completely fake um it really kind of messed with my head actually uh, it really did mess with my head um, yeah, i can imagine that as obviously you had a lot on your plate believing with the tumour and then sexual assault, finding out about these lies, but also you were caring for your son as well. You still had your own personal life and yeah. outside of that. So how, how do you find that as well? Just trying to keep some things normal, you could say. Yeah, I mean, that was, that was a huge thing. I think, you know, my son um, kept me you know kept, i had to get out of bed i mean i think for the first when i first found out my son actually was with his father um at the time he was on holiday and i did initially say to his dad look you're gonna have to keep him for like another week because i mean i didn't really say why and then i had to phone up work and i'd already told them that you know my, he'd been diagnosed with an illness and it may come a point where i couldn't come into work and they and of course they assumed that's what it was and they were like yeah take as long as you need obviously i didn't tell them at the time the, the real reason um 
I mean, I didn't lie to them. I just said I just needed time. Um, yeah. And um, and so, yeah, for, the, for, for I think for like a, probably about two weeks, I just two weeks I didn't shower. I didn't get up. I didn't eat. I mean, I was just a complete wreck. And then obviously my son came back and I, and I had to force myself up. I had to um, get through the day for him. And uh, and I'll tell you the, the the one thing that really got me through it was music actually music um, yes music and I would you know say to anybody if you go if you really need to sort of I mean I'm not saying this is the cure or you know or I mean well there, there is musical therapy but um, it's it's so motivational it will just pick you up lift you up. I mean it was it sort of dragged me out of bed really music I had my headphones in um, or I would play the music on the stereo and literally that got me through each each day you know one day at a time and that got me through the day it enabled me to get out of bed to get up to motivate me you know fast uh fast fast music sort of fast pace motivating music nothing with any lyrics that would or, or nothing that would remind me of the, of the relationship or the past or anything like that it was always kind of new um uplifting sort of with a fast beat that just motivated me i mean you know there's obviously a reason why uh, runners are banned from listening to music at the olympics because it does it does get you up and moving um so yeah so that was what got me through the really initial dark days i would say um and exercise i just went a bit crazy you know i just kept on exercising um just to try and sort of boost the endorphins and and again i mean it's, it's really hard i mean it's something you, you really just feel like just lying in bed and and not doing anything and and you know i really felt like i wanted to just cry cry all day and lie in bed but i had to get up you know i couldn't allow myself to get into that kind of um you know spiral uh, sort of downward spiral and so that that's really what kind of got me through it um i also um i'd had this 10-year dream to walk the inca trail to match Picchu. Yeah, and I knew that was I had to book that almost like a year and nine months in advance because you you know in order to get your permits it takes and also to get fit for it. Um, so that was something that I booked and I had that planned and it was something to work towards um, a goal really a purpose as well. Um, but I didn't talk about it that the humiliation you know I I didn't really go and get uh, the help that I needed really um because i think i was too humiliated i felt humiliation it's like um i you know how how was i was so stupid i mean what an idiot was i you know how did i not how could i not have known and that was constantly going through my head that was constantly beating myself up i was so angry 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 at myself you know how could i not have known and it just felt like everybody was laughing at me that everybody else knew and i and i didn't um and so that was the sensation and so i you know great british style i just kind of just got on with it you know and and didn't talk about it um and so i ended up in a a new relationship um probably a bit too quickly um yeah much too quickly actually um but he was amazing this this great guy and really really kind really warm and he knew about the you know i did tell him i didn't tell him about the sexual assault the rape or anything um yeah. but i told him 
you know the other things and he was very understanding he was great he would send me you know if we weren't together he would send me like little photos you know he'd take pictures of himself wherever he was and you know to be as reassuring as possible because obviously my distrust levels were pretty high as you can imagine yeah, of course. <laughs> um and he was he was you know he poor guy he couldn't do right for doing wrong really um it was like I was looking for ways to catch him out. Uh, I was overanalyzing everything, um, just constantly questioning his motives, his every move. If he said something nice to me, that would cause an argument. I mean, this poor guy, he couldn't do anything. I was just, you know, prove it. Well, you know, words mean nothing. And, you know, he couldn't say anything like, you know, he would just say something really nice to me, like, you know, you're so polite and educated and all, you, you know, you've got a great sense of humor. I'd be like, ah, what are you saying those things for? Because, you know, it's all been said before and it's all lies. Um, and so inevitably it didn't, it didn't end very well um, because after about a year or so, and we had some great times when we were together, we had a great time. We really did connect, but when we were apart and I wasn't with him, that's when all the issues um, really sort of raised their, their, raised their head, really. Um, and in the end, he just said, look, I'm, you know, I really care about you, but I, I just don't think it's going to work, it, it, you know, like this. And uh, it was absolutely devastating because uh, um, I was thinking, you know, here is this great person, this great guy. And I still can't make it work. Um, what a failure I am, what a loser I am, you know. Um, there's obviously something wrong with me and all these thoughts were going through my head. Um, and what's, what's interesting is that when we actually said, said our final goodbye, he was actually holding me and hugging me really tight. And he, oh, so he was so, so nice. And I, he taught me, I mean, it's not, it wasn't apparent at the time, but looking back, he taught me in that moment about self-love, about self-respect, about boundaries, um, about, you know, knowing when to walk away from something, um, which yeah. often sometimes that we don't, you know, he, he, as much as he cared about me and I cared about him, he knew that for his own mental well-being and his own sake, he had to walk away, um, and I had a massive respect for that. And like I said, he taught me in that moment uh, about, about self, self, you know, self, self love. And uh, obviously I knew, you know, he was doing me a favor and it was right Well, he was doing himself a favor, but at the same time, he was also helping me. And, uh, and then at that point I hit rock bottom really. Uh, I mean, I didn't try and chase after him. I didn't try to beg him to stay or anything like that because I knew it was the right thing. And that I had to really, you know, and get help um but i didn't initially i didn't go and i felt quite ill physically very very unwell afterwards mm. and um i think just the stress and the combination of everything that happened uh with the previous the lion brain tumor guy as well and it just all hit me and and i was in pain constantly i was very very ill i i couldn't i felt like i couldn't function um my whole body was hurting um, the doctors they didn't know what was wrong with me I ended up having to go to hospital and I had lots of tests and eventually they said you know look 
we can't actually find anything physiologically wrong with you there's, there's there is no real information or anything in the body there's nothing actually we can't find anything wrong and they just said it's stress must be stress um my initial reaction was you know you've obviously you know this is this is ridiculous you know i'm in pain i'm actually in a physical pain this is ridiculous there must be something wrong with me um but then i had to accept that you know that's that's what happens you know your mental uh mind and body are so connected that you know that i was so devastated i'd hit rock bottom it was affecting me physically as well and i think for the sake of my son as well and my own physical and mental well-being you know i had to sort my my head out um so yeah so that was when i decided then i had to go and and actually take action and do something um for my mental health so is it fair to say that was the turning point when you thought of your family thought of your son thought of yourself when you actually thought you need to put yourself first and make that change yeah i think it was then then i think that i think at my absolute lowest point then um was was you know i, I really needed to get my i knew then i needed to get my act together and i think up until that point it was just you know poor me poor me you know i'm a victim um and then i thought right now i need to i need to do something now i need to take action um so yeah so definitely that was that point yeah so what action did you choose to take um well i'd heard about um nlp neuro-linguistic programming um i don't know if you're familiar with it um i'd heard about it many years before and then it sort of happened it's a, a bit of synchronicity really it was at the right time um that there was a weekend workshop coming up just when i was kind of looking right that weekend um and it was free so i went and did this weekend workshop initially um and i just got so much so much benefit about it because it's not where you just go and talk about your problems it's really about taking action and strategies and tools to actually help you manage and change behaviors and patterns of behavior yeah. um and to help your communication and things like that um so i absolutely loved it uh and i thought this is this is really it was really working you know i got so much benefit in just two days um and strategy also to help i thought you know it would benefit my son that i could teach my son as well and um and from there i went on and i um i did a then a seven day um practitioner training so i went on to do a bit more of a deeper dive um a longer training and there are, you know, I met this great, great guy, this great mentor. Um, and I think one of the first things, perhaps the thing that sticks out the most um, over this training period was that it was about sort of the mindset, you know, because up until that point, I had this sort of mindset of a helpless victim. You know, things had happened in my childhood as well. And, um, mm. and obviously feeling like I was quite blame, you know, always blaming other people for my problems and um and i think the first thing that i really accepted was that you know you don't despite things you know we can't help what's happened to us um but we can change how we deal with that from now on you know you can change you can be back in the driving seat because when you when you view yourself as a victim it's disempowering um you, you know you're taking away any of your own power 
and you're kind of giving it into the hands of your abusers or, or people that have wronged you or whatever you know the situations that have happened whereas when you stop um viewing yourself as this helpless victim and say right okay this has happened to me i can't un i can't unhappen it you know it's happened but i can now change the way i think about it and the way i deal with it and the way i move forward and that's very empowering um so you go you go from the effect side of things to the cause side of things and so that for me was like a huge you know aha this is brilliant you know i can actually i can i don't have to be this helpless victim anymore um i can take back control um and so that was amazing and then i carried on and i did and i thought right i really want to to help people as well because this is really helping me because obviously throughout the whole uh, process we, we get to practice on each other um and to work on each other so it's it's therapy really you, you're getting that kind of therapy um and tools and you're learning all these tools to take away with you um and strategies and then again uh, about six months later i then i went on to do the master practitioner and i also incorporated it with hypnotherapy and timeline therapy as well and uh, again the same mentor that, that was there and he i think i was was having this long deep conversation with him and he was just listening to me talking and talking and uh, and at one point he just stopped me so can i just stop you just put his hand up and then he reached he didn't say anything at all he just reached into his pocket and he pulled out a packet of tissues and he put them on the table and he just said very softly i'm really sorry lisa but what do you hate about yourself and i just burst into tears and it was this cathartic moment if you like um i just cried and cried and cried it's it was almost like somebody i was seeing clearly the first time yeah. um, i suddenly realized that you know i'd been projecting outwards all my feelings of anger and hate and everything that happened to me as i said before you know in this kind of victim way um and also my past and and blaming people and um but actually it was myself that i really uh despised and i had this self-loathing um it was so you know despite the fact that i was angry at other people it was myself that i was actually um hating and, and angry at and when i think you know healing half, half the battle is understanding what it is that you need to change and what the issue is um and so just realizing that although it was quite upsetting it was also quite empowering quite liberating because now i was like okay you know i realized what the, the what was holding me back from moving forward um was the fact that i was actually you know i had no self-compassion no self-love uh, and when i say self-love I, I don't mean sort of putting myself on a pedestal i mean there's unconditional you know that acceptance that you're you know you make mistakes and it's okay to make mistakes we all make yeah. mistakes you know yes. um it's it's part of being a human being you know it's not you shouldn't be constantly beating yourself up ab about things that happen all the time um you just have to say okay it's happened um and and not try and pick even blame yourself or blame other people it's 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 learning from it and and moving forward um because i i think we can all be our own uh worst enemies can't we with our critical self-talk and that sort of yeah. nagging that little voice in the head that's always telling us you know we're not good enough or imposter syndrome i think is the latest thing that people talk about um 
so yeah, so that was quite a huge, uh, and it sort of enabled me then to kind of really focus on that uh, and do some more deep dive work with uh, my own value and self-worth really and, and sort of establishing that. Um, yeah. So how long was that process? Because, you know, it's definitely not a quick fix. It's not you attend a course, a conference, and then you're better just like that. How long was the process to actually build yourself back up from, as you said, rock bottom? Yeah, I think, I mean, I would say it probably was like an, a two year period and over a two year period. I mean, it sounds like, oh, it's, a, I think it's an ongoing thing as well, because I don't think, uh, you know, as we're human beings, we, we constantly fall down and, and get up, you know, life is full of ups and downs. So, um, I think it's an ongoing process as well. I, I don't think it's, oh yeah, you know, now it's, it's, it's all perfect and everything's wonderful. Um, it's things that I do that I practice every day to remind myself of my own self-worth and, and value. And also that, you know, I'm imperfect and that's okay. You know, I make mistakes and that's okay because we all do. And having that compassion, when you have self-compassion, you can be compassionate towards other people as well. So I think it's an ongoing process, but I would say probably from really rock bottom to sort of um, getting back on my feet, you know, 18 months to two years, I would say that was the process of really learning and actually getting to know myself, my strengths, my weaknesses, uh, learning my values, my boundaries. I think that was quite important because when you don't have that self love you you tend not to have boundaries and people treat you how you treat how you think of yourself so when you start to have more respect for yourself then naturally other people respect you you know um because one of the things that obviously that um i, I was sort of learned as well in this period is that you know if you don't love yourself how can you possibly expect other people to love you you know if you don't respect yourself how can you expect other people to respect you um if you don't have compassion for yourself you know how is it how can you expect other people to have compassion so it really it's really about for me i mean the biggest uh thing that i learned was everything starts from um you know inside our own minds really because we can go off in search of happiness in a new car or a new house or a new but you know you're not really going to attain it's happiness doesn't come from outside of ourselves it comes from inside because your world is a reflection it's like standing in front of a mirror um everything comes back to you um so that was like a huge a huge uh huge epiphany a huge aha whatever you want to call it really <laughs> yeah i bet it was that must have been life-changing so how are you today how are you feeling now compared to how you were then Oh my God, well, it's like a world apart, really. In fact, sometimes when I look back, it's almost looking looking back at a different person. It feels, uh, it feels quite surreal, you know, when I think back to how I was yeah. and, and how much I've learned um, in this period of time, you know. I mean, that happened, what, five, uh, five, 2014? Well, I was coming up to six years, five and a half years ago. Um, and it's amazing how much you how much I've grown as a person and continue to grow because again like I said you know you can be 
riding the wave one moment and then come you know because life is full of uh things happen don't they that you you have no control of yeah. and you have to deal with with things as they arrive i mean I, I still have problems i still there's still things that i have to overcome myself um but it's a it's a daily process and i i feel like i've got um you know the, the things that i do like affirmations and, and self-hypnosis as well that i practice um to keep me you know feeling to have that inner peace um and to, to be okay with you know making mistakes and because uh, i think that that was probably the worst thing was that i would dwell and dwell on on things for a very long time unable to kind of move forward just stuck in this horrible cycle of beating myself up all the time and so that's huge just being able to let go of things and move forward it's quite good and the the i have do have a little bit of a happy ending as well actually because the, yeah. the guy that um the great guy that um who taught me self you know who unwittingly taught me self-love who was amazing and patient um we got back together as well about two years ago and so we've been stronger than than ever i would say it's it's had a huge and it wasn't like i wasn't um it wasn't we, we we hadn't planned on it's just our paths crossed and we ended up back together so it wasn't something that i i was seeking out i wasn't seeking him out he wasn't seeking me out i don't think um but somehow it felt right um and yeah i mean we are separated at the so you know we are separated at the moment because of the quarantine you know the isolation um because we don't actually live together so we're in separate households so we can't see each other so obviously that you know we're dealing with that i mean sometimes that's quite hard um but you know i know that we will see each other again and we have to get through this by you know video calls and and get through it the best way that we can really um yeah. so. This is a question, it's sort of more your opinion, but would you say if this quarantine happened when you were with this incredible man the first time, how do you think you would have coped? Would you have coped like you are now, or would you have struggled with the isolation, being apart from him, when you still oh, had no. these? Yeah, no, no. Yeah. yeah, probably no, definitely not. I think we probably would have, uh, it probably would have ended, to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I didn't really, it's, I, it's, it's, I feel very different. I feel I have this car, sense of calm that I didn't have before. Um, a sense of inner, it sounds very cliche, doesn't it? A sense of this sort of inner peace. I, I, it's very hard to describe. I mean, don't get me wrong. I still have emotions and, you yeah. know, my ups and downs like everybody. Um, but in terms of sort of the relationship, uh, I think I was panicked at maybe the, the sort of sensation of panic before, um, if that's the right sort of adjective, I'm, that I'm, the right emotion that I felt. I, I, I'm not, I, there, there was this sense of panic and anxiety, I guess, whilst I was in the relationship when I wasn't with him. I had this uh, sense of anxiety, which I don't now. Um, no, not at all. I, I don't, I feel quite confident in the relationship i feel confident in myself and even if it doesn't work out if and even if it's to grow apart or he would end up, i think that of course i would be upset i think i would handle it um, a lot better you know sometimes people do grow apart and that's that's life and um whilst of course i would be upset i don't think i would be you know i think i would be able to pick myself up and, and move forward with that 
Um, it's a cliche again, but would you say you're the same person you were back then? Or would you say that you've just moved forward? Or would you arguably say you're a new person now because of all this? Um, I, I mean, I still have... I, like I said, sometimes when I look back at that period, it is like looking back. It, it doesn't seem like it was me. Um, I think I have hugely changed from inside if you like um, mentally yeah. speaking and certainly my thought processes and, and and I think more more so the management of my because again like I said we, I'm a human being I still of course have negative you know doubts and feelings like any human being sometimes um, but I, I know how to manage manage those thoughts um, a lot better so certainly I've definitely moved forward. I, it does feel, it does feel like I'm looking at a different person. Again, I, I, it sounds very cliche, doesn't like yeah. it said, uh, a new me. I, I don't think, you know, it's, it's not like zipping off a suit and then voila, you know, opening up with this new refreshed person. Um, but yeah, I think, I think it's a gradual process because obviously you're just changing little by little day by day day by day and then sometimes you end up having a bad day again and then you're back up again and day by day so obviously this is a long period of time away you know ago it's five years ago so yeah i've definitely grown a lot so um you could say i'm hugely different from where i was five six years ago hugely different but i'm still me i still have still have the same personality you know and still uh, talk too much <laughs> Oh, I don't think so. <laughs> yeah. I still waffle sometimes. <laughs> well, you definitely haven't waffled today, aren't you? It's been incredible hearing your story. And as we come to the end, have you got any advice for my listeners, for people who have been through similar experiences to you or, or even experiencing what you've been through currently and not sure what to do? Have you got any advice to give? Well, I'd say, first of all, I mean, if you're going through any kind of difficulty at the moment, uh, that one of the things that we, we often feel when you're going through that is that you're alone. And I can categorically say you are absolutely not alone um, in going through whatever it is you're going through. And to really, I think, to reach out, reach out for help if you can. Um, it, obviously it depends it's quite difficult to give blanket advice really but because um, obviously it depends on the situation and where yeah. the person is um, I mean if you're in a bad relationship um, and somebody's treating you mistreating you then first of all that is wrong you absolutely do not deserve it and you know find a way reach out even to, even now in isolation I think so. some charities still operating um, if, if you can you can reach out anonymously um, you can get help, a trusted friend or confident or somebody. So first, so really, I mean, really the, the huge, if, and if it's just a case of, you know, you're feeling down or you're not happy with things, uh, perhaps it's less serious than, you know, a bad relationship, um, then I would say take action, you know. Uh, it may not be NLP. There are whole, whole lots of different things you can do. Um, I, I always say there's more than one way up a mountain. So do whatever you, is, is right for you. Um, you know, take a course. There's lots of things online that you can do, lots of classes as well. Um, just take just take a step forward. You know, you may not entirely know where it's going to be, where it's going to lead, Just but you have to take action. If you want things to change, you must 
make that change so you must you must start the process really and take a step forward um, and then you can go from there so that that would be my advice not just to sit down and just you know if you want if you want to sort of you know feel better move forward in your life then you have to take take the first step so take action yeah that is some top advice i think the main message is as you probably agree that there is help out there and there is support out there absolutely yeah you have to just reach out and like i said you can do it anonymously there's lots of supportive uh, networks that you can actually talk to people anonymously i think uh, and particularly for if it's domestic abuse or anything like that or you're in a relationship um i think even now that they're still operating there's still places you can go um even in sort of this quarantine period i think you can still get out so please if you're you know if you're thinking you're trapped or anything please just reach out to somebody because you know you can get out of it uh, there is support there so lisa thank you so much for appearing on the show and sharing your story honestly i can't thank you enough you are an incredible inspiring person from what you've been through and thank you for sharing that with me and my listeners oh, you're very welcome thank you very much for having having me on your show honestly it's been my pleasure and you know, for people like you is why I do this show because hopefully if you can help one other person share your experiences to help someone else then that makes it all worth it to me and I'm sure you feel the same yeah 100% absolutely even if it's just one person that's one person yeah. so have you got any last words before you go um no, just keep just keep on moving forward. Just keep uh, keep going, really. Um, that's it. Just keep going. Reach out if you can. So thank you, Lisa Edwards. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you, Callum. So guys, thank you for listening to what was a pretty special. I think we can all agree episode of the Schofield Stories podcast. As you can tell, I'm quite emotional myself. So, but. Thank you for listening. As always, without you, my incredible listeners, I wouldn't be able to do what I do. So I hope you know how much your support means to me. You can listen to us on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Anchor FM, and many more platforms. I couldn't have recorded this without Zoom or released it without Anchor. So thank you to everyone there. A shout out to Stammer for their ongoing help working with people who stammer honestly they go above and beyond so please check them out and support them in any way you can and finally if you want more my website is proudrecoveringstammer.wordpress.com find me on facebook under calum schofield stammering activist my twitter is at calum Schof, and the official instagram for the page is at the underscore schofield underscore stories And I hope to speak to you again for the next episode of the Schofield Stories. Thank you. Bye for now.